Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Screen Talk and Noir's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic. Joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And if you are looking at me on Zoom, you can tell that I've somehow found my way into the Tiff Bell Lightbox, the opening of the Toronto International Film Festival. Of course, I should point out, if I was actually there, I would definitely be adhering to the mask policy. But um, I'm not there, so I can take this thing off and, and feel comfortable and safe and responsible. How are you holding up in Los Angeles with all that heat? The heat was bad, but it's it's over. So I've survived. <laughs> uh, I went to I went to you know I swam in a friend's pool and went out to Santa Monica where it's like ten degrees cooler. Yeah, but you um, all the time to take a vacation. That's no, and I went to I went to the desert and I had a lovely time uh, with my daughter in the desert and her dog and we went to Joshua Tree before they closed the national park. Um, we got in there, we had a pool, we, we, we cooked wonderful meals. We watched Dirty Dancing and the Charlie Kaufman movie for the second time. Wow. And uh, the entire uh, Indian matchmaker series. <laughs> That's, it was girls, girls vacation. It was it's fun. It's a hell of a contrast to what you would have been doing if Telluride wasn't canceled. That's- I know, but here's the thing. Um, I actually did uh, sneak in uh, some work because uh, TIFF has, of course, started and uh, today, yesterday, Thursday, and um, and we actually uh, have a week away from New York. And so it's sort of like the, there was the floodgates yeah. have opened. And I know you're experiencing this with your team because you guys are reviewing half a yeah. dozen movies a day. Yeah. I mean, we're aiming to review all 50 movies in Toronto. I mean, I have to tell you, as in spite of all the uh, stress and deadlines and, and sleep schedules or whatever, this is probably the most normal that I've felt in eight months or so, given that- Back in the know, swing. We're, we're in it. I mean, I, you know, usually when I go into fall festival mode in the last 13 years that I've been doing it the way that, that we do it at the site, uh, it's th- there's a certain kind of cycle that you just sort of settle into where you watch a lot of stuff, not even just in the crush of the festival environment, but also in the time leading up to it, a lot of pre-screenings, a lot of links, that kind of stuff. So, so that's what you're doing. That's what we're doing. I mean, I, I talked about this a bit last week with, with our with our guests. I watched. And, I watched. Yeah, Everybody was, was great. It was super fascinating to talk this through because I, I, you know, I've been to a couple of screenings where I was, you know, one or two, two of us in the screen. So you've done some screening rooms? Yeah. I got invited to one and I turned it down. I, I said, send me a link. I mean, and, and, and even the screenings that I've been to, there have been links available. So people are being responsible about this. And, I, and I've watched a lot of stuff on links. I've had to get up at early hours to watch certain things and then squeezing deadlines and Everything, it's sort of a pancake experience. And we don't know how long that's going to last. Over the well, weekend, but. the TIFF thing is fascinating. You know, everybody who has a P&I pass gets this, you know, big, big menu of things that they can watch. And, and it's really anxiety provoking because it goes expires 
yeah. at this time on this day expires and you have to actually be very organized about it or and recognize you can't see everything yeah, or you're going to miss it. I mean, the thing is, I, I what I was thinking about with respect to this is when I started going to festivals, I had to learn a very confusing system for how you see things like you can go to Cannes, you have to learn about, you know, the accreditation process and the timing of the different screenings and when you get in line and stuff. So this is on a continuum with that. It's just another set of rules that we have to adapt to because accessibility is something that has to be limited. They can't make this too widely. A lot of distributors don't want these movies to just sit on the platform indefinitely. They want you to come and see it in a certain window of time and they want to take it back and figure out what to do with it next. So we have so to work with that. I did see one uh, one of the one of the Venice movies I liked a lot, which was called The World to Come, Mona Fastfold's movie, and uh, I thought she just did an extraordinary job. It's a love story set in Pioneer New England um, with uh, uh, Casey Affleck and Catherine Waterston are married, and then Vanessa Kirby uh, is married to Christopher Abbott. But it's the two women who uh, fall in love and give each other solace. Uh, it's it's a very grim kind of tough. Uh, it's almost like they exist in the world of Bellatar, you know. There, there's this. Oh, there's you this, just told me right there. <laughs> there's a moment where they're eating potatoes for a meal, and I thought of Bellatar. <laughs> I, I need to watch that movie. I uh, I really liked her first film, which I believe premiered at Sundance called Sleepwalker back in 2014, which had uh, Christopher Abbott in it. Yeah, right? Well, I mean there. You know, they're, they're kind of part of that extended network that started with the borderline films people, and they have a really interesting kind of like quasi-cerebral approach that still kind of has a, a very intense kind of passionate core to it. Definitely. And I like their approach in overall. So so she's certainly somebody I've, I've been tracking for a while. So that's a movie that might sell to somebody. You know, I don't know whether it would be bleaker. It won't be Neon because they have Ammonite, which is their follow-up uh, to uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. There's a quota on passionate lesbians. Exactly, exactly. It seems to be a trend. Yeah, and Vanessa Kirby had another movie. Did you see it The that the, the, the did well in Venice as well? I haven't seen the Kirby film. Um, unfortunately, Venice, you know, for a lot of the big marquee titles, it's been hard to see them remotely. So we'll have to see it at TIFF. So, yeah, so we will. Have I've been to- asking for a, a link to that. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's been, I mean, we've had a freelancer on the ground in Venice, and I think it's been an interesting process to both, you know, through social media, see that people are actually at, physically attending the film festival, and then also trying to get to what we can remotely as well. So in a couple of things that, that I've liked, I, I love The Disciple, which is not for all for everyone. It's a I will definitely watch that. But yeah, I, I thought it was really, really strong. I've, I've seen so many cliched movies about struggling musicians, and this one takes that and puts it in the context of an Indian classical musician with, with these aspirations that are probably not on the level of his skill. And, and it does something really fascinating with it. it uses the music to tell the story in a way I'd never seen before. So I was really into that. One. And that's also going to New York Film Festival in addition to Tip, so it'll get some time to build well, up. Well, I think the other the other one that I really liked was Night One Night in Miami, which is right. Regina which King's well. debut, and um, I and think it's think a real she, Oscar she contender. First, uh, the first black woman nominated for Best Director. She could. It could happen. It could really happen. It's a I, talky I, movie. There's yeah. no question that there's a play behind it, um, but I think that. Um, 
that she'll end up uh, getting real kudos because of the degree of difficulty of the, all these guys sitting around talking. Well, <laughs> and she makes it really dynamic and, and dramatic. I think there's a real audience for this movie that's quite broad. I mean, currently I'm, I'm upstate at my in-laws and I was telling them, they were sort of asking, well, what have you been watching lately? And I described the premise of this movie. Jim Brown, Cassis Clay, you know. Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke and Malcolm X sit in a hotel room and talk and they're like, Oh, wow, that sounds really interesting. I remember that fight and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right, 1964 so, in yeah. Miami. So, so it, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's and it's very timely. Obviously, they're talking about what can celebrities do to help change the dynamic for, for uh, African-Americans in America, which is well, pretty insane. What I found striking about the film, I mean, I, I, it, it's certainly not a perfect, you know, there, there are parts of it I thought that were a touch heavy handed, but it, but it's a play and, it's, and there's a theatricality to it. If you close your eyes, and, and just experience it that way, you would hear a play. But when you watch it, you really are seeing a movie. She directed it very well. I, well, the I, actors it, delivered it with her, with her help. Yeah. Yep. Yes. They're all very charismatic, well, each like one Leslie, of them. Leslie Odom Jr., who obviously is, you know, Aaron Burr in Hamilton, as Sam Cooke is, is a really and good... And he sings the songs himself, <laughs> yeah. and he co-wrote a song at the end, called, I believe it's called Speak Now, which uh, I... I, I will take this to the bank. It could win Best Original Song at the Oscars. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot riding on that. And then, of course, Kingsley Benadir is, uh, as Malcolm He's the Mack. best one, I he's think, sort of, of a, the group. I think he's going to be a discovery. He's the standout. Life. He's British. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly, because he's, he's been known more on the TV side. He's been And he's been in theater, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that that's an interesting one, that it, it's got the Venice buzz behind it and then it's going to come into the tip context which will be more it'll do be the classic build on the buzz uh, that would have happened in theory you know at telluride or something you know so it's good so to have that uh one night in miami as a major contender and then nomadland which is premiering you know as we're recording in, in a about a day you're going to go to the the road i'm going to the drive-in on friday night and uh that's going to be the 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 all the gang will be there right all the people i haven't seen for seven months the the whole universe will be there hi kyle hi rebecca you know whatever it is to do that are you going to walk around i think everybody will i think they will put their masks on and walk down the aisles I'm sure uh, of it. If you're outside, maybe you don't. Well, I, I'm not. I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah. I'm the most conservative person, you know, so don't worry about me. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I'm, I'm excited about this movie getting such a platform. I think I've, I've, I've alluded to it in the past, but just the idea that a film like Nomadland would be the big fall title right now. By default. Well, yeah. It's I mean, the one that the that Searchlight put out there. Yeah, I think it's a it's a wise with Francis McDormand and and you did an interview with Chloe Zhao, which I thought was excellent. By the way, the other interview you did, which if anyone missed, they should catch up with. I was giving Eric a hard time. He was saying, "I'm going to interview Charlie Kaufman, and I'm going to get him to tell me everything about." Believe me. <laughs> and I said he hasn't told anybody anything so far. He's been very coy. So Eric gets him after the movie opens. That's why you got him to answer yeah, well- everything. Here's what I, I mean. I've spoken to Charlie Kaufman a few times over the years, and, and uh, so you know there was this existing awareness that I was I was looking for something more. I'm not just gonna kind of sit on the softball questions and let him take them. But also, I think that um, he is somebody who is very self-aware, as this movie sort of I think speaks to you on on a, on a certain level, and and knows that uh, knows how his movies are being processed, and was surprised on some level said he was surprised that 
people had as many questions as they did, just in terms of what the movie was about. And so he wants people to know what the movie is about. He doesn't want to explain everything. But once you kind of get the general sense of what's going on here, who this main character is, and what well, people should experiencing it. People should read it after they've seen yeah. the movie, obviously. I think, and I had I went I turned around and saw the movie a second time because it's so much fun yeah. to put the puzzle pieces yeah, together. Exactly. And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of details. Some people hate this. Um, I, I I saw it a second time and uh, with somebody who uh, really found it to be monotonous, and I can understand that reaction. But I it's also more like Mulholland it. Drive or something. It's something that's you know purposefully um, not clear, or opaque, yeah, but and you have to play like, with it. Unlike Mulholland Drive, I do think that there is one specific aspect of the plot that kind of explains in general what it is you're watching. And then it's a question of, do you get this reference? Do you get, did you know that that was actually a poem written by this person? Did you know who Colin Kale was and that this is a review that's being read out loud or whatever? And then, yeah. then it's just, then it becomes fun because you can yeah. explore it in a way. It's like Wikipedia pages or something. As yeah. Yeah. No, I so. loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. But also I will say this. I don't think it's at all surprising that it probably isn't doing very well on Netflix. This is still an arcane art film. It is not a mainstream, please everybody kind of, of movie. And, and I wouldn't expect it to be in the Netflix top 10. What I would be curious about is does this movie, I mean, does an unsuccessful Netflix movie when Netflix is in 190 quest, uh, countries in different languages really mean that it's unsuccessful? I mean, not at all. Whatever they paid for it, they knew what the numbers were. <clears throat> so it's probably doing fine, and, and in the long tail, could be substantial. People will talk about it. Exactly. It does. I mean, it's but it's also hard to get in the top ten. I mean, that's yeah, yeah whatever. Exactly. Maybe Charlie Kaufman doesn't want to be. In the top 10. <laughs> I mean, I, if I was in my, I wouldn't. I'm not sure I would want that kind of scrutiny to my work because there'd be a lot of people who get angry when they don't understand what's going on there. So, but I, you know, what do you think? Is is this? I know there's respect for the guy. He's been nominated a bunch of times in the past. Screenplay is a possibility. Adapted. Yeah, they, have, they have these bigger movies like Mank that they haven't shown us yet, or the Aaron Sorkin film Trials. Right. So yeah. when when that happens, you know he could get knocked out, but he's certainly a contender. Um, I, I would think that the writers would respect this a good deal. Yeah, I mean there always is that, kind and of they all will see it. It's not like course, they're not going to see it. This is not something I've asked Charlie Kaufman about, but I would assume that this is a guy who does not want to just be seen constantly as the screenwriter who gets the screenplay nomination that he's a filmmaker well i would say this is his you know i was not a huge fan of synecdoche at all and i didn't think he directed that well this one he directed well very thoughtfully you know and very carefully and he told us what he wanted us to know so if regina king and chloe Gao get nominated maybe charlie coffin can just be the token white guy and it'll, feel, <laughs> it'll feel more normal so speaking, speaking of, of which, which <laughs> right, exactly. We can segue to the uh, inclusion um, details that the Academy revealed this week. And uh, so they're rolling it out over time. Uh, there are certain things you have to comply with if you want to be considered for best picture, just that category. And it doesn't start for real until 2024. You're going to have to submit the details of your film and, and say, you know, did you, uh, have a, a lead actors of a significant uh, underrepresented racial or ethnic group in your movie or behind the scenes of your movie? Or did you have a mentorship program at your company, which applies to distributors, uh, 
too, and for indie films. And, and so it's, it's, we asked them a bunch of questions um, about this, you know, how long it's been about a year that they've been working on it. They, they went to the guilds, they went to the mostly to BAFTA and used their guidelines for this because they did it in 2016. Now, people in England have been complaining that it hasn't been very successful and that the bar is so low that it really is quite meaningless. But most of the people I polled seem to be pretty happy and on board with this. It isn't that hard to uh, meet their qualifications. Well, that's and, part of the problem, isn't it? Yeah. It's not that hard. I mean, it's but it still encourages people to do more and to make sure that they're, that they're represent, you know, the marketing team should have some representation on, you know, on staff, you know, all sorts of, of ways to, to add inclusion. I'll be really curious to see how they police it and how it unfolds over time because it's there's it's such a meticulous breakdown A B C D I forget how many letters there are. There's four there's basically four ways four categories, and you have to fulfill two of them. Yeah, so I mean that kind of a thing. It's it, it'll be interesting. It clearly embodies what the industry wants to see happen now anyway. So it's it's trying to create some sort of framework for that. I did notice today in the Annenberg study that came out about um, inclusivity noted in light of, of these new rules that 95 of the top 100 grossing films of last year would meet this criteria and yet also came up short on the level of representation in other ways. So that is why basically I think some people still have an issue with this because it's not necessarily going to address uh, a lot of Hollywood's diversity problems in a very visible, meaningful way. I think it raises consciousness. Uh, I think, I mean, I know that at Penske Media, we are looking to uh, add a lot more representation to the people who, who, who work at all the different brands. And I think that that's got to be true in Hollywood and they just need a, a, a big push. This yeah, is one way to do where it. Where culture is heading anyway on some level, but it's yeah. transparent about your efforts is certainly an important step. I'm also curious, I mean, you mentioned that BAFTA sort of inspired a big part of the way this was formulated, but just the idea of the Academy celebrating international range of movies makes me wonder how that's going to play out. I mean, in the wake of Parasite winning Best Picture, how will, you know, films from Korea or uh, another part of Asia or across Europe sort of deal with this and how will, say, distributors who are looking to acquire movies that have awards potential evaluate uh, whether or not a film that was made in another country falls into this kind of breakdown. I think it's going to be a really interesting process, you know, to see how people respond to that. Stuff. Totally, totally. So, TBD on that front, although it does seem like we're looking at hopefully a fairly diverse set of awards. Yes, that's what I was just thinking. There's a, uh, there's a number of movies that are in play and more to come. I mean, there's uh, the Aretha Franklin movie Respect and, and uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, and uh, which has Chadwick Boseman in it. Um, that's one thing that happened up. last that was, week. That was, that was very, tough. very distressing. The fascinating um, as well that to watch how he was responding to. So long yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm very Curious. I mean, obviously, it's very tragic. And he's a cultural icon by virtue of the, that performance that he gave in Black Panther and some of the other choices. James Brown. Yeah. I was a big fan of that movie. I interviewed him for that movie. Yeah, he, he was very he was lovely. About that movie. It but was I, really good. But I think that... Mm. Um, Not many people saw it, though. But, but, I, but I'm also just sort of curious about, you know, that turning point that Black Panther represented 
for Marvel and the potential of blockbusters to, to reach a wider audience by acknowledging the needs of a diverse uh, crowd, um, you know, just how much that will continue to reverberate as, you know, Black Panther 2 is now going to have to, you know, probably take some other kind of form. It's going to be an interesting question. You know, it, that was not just lightning in a bottle. It was, it was a clear indicator of the kinds of movies that need to be made. And I feel like a big part of Bozeman's legacy now is going to be how more movies are made that try to do that with other kinds of characters. I mean, Chloe well, Zhao got Eternal. One, well, no, I think he broke a, the, that movie broke an enormous barrier. It was a huge historic accomplishment. <clears throat> yeah. And it was global. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And so, how they, you know, the the thing we can't, you know, w worry about yet, but it will become uh, something is is how they go forward. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I can't imagine what someone like Ryan Coogler is going through. I mean, he put put out a beautiful statement, but um, you know, you also don't want to trivialize it because it's not just about the movie and the franchise; it's somebody's life and and, and his decision to keep that secret was a personal choice. So. You know, it is what it is, and, and we'll see how they how they move ahead. So um, just to, to not be glib, but changing topics, have you had a chance to get in the car and go see Tenet yet? All right. So friends of mine in L.A. have gone down to San Diego. They've gone to Las Vegas. Um, I know our colleague Bill Desowitz went to San Diego and, and saw the film. Uh, I guess I'm just waiting for the theaters to open in Los Angeles, which is when Warner Brothers is going to screen it for us here. And I'm just going to wait for that. Um, I'm not, I, I am eager to see it, but I'm not eager to go into a theater. I'm just not. There have been pockets of, of people seeing it in different kinds of ways. I mean, I, I talked to somebody who saw it in a crowded theater in Connecticut. Uh, David Ehrlich on our staff went to a rented theater with some friends, which apparently is, is pretty easy to do. That's a thing to do. I would, I would consider so, that, but we yeah. don't have open theaters yet. He had to go to right. New Jersey, right? Uh, or, or another state, but yeah. it, it is a, it is a, a process. Uh, How about you? Do, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I, I'm open to it. I, I'm willing to take certain kinds of risks. Well, you have I, a car now. <laughs> I've got that car. I wish um, they were making drive-ins available. They just aren't. Well, I mean, for a movie like this, you know, if there's one thing that Nolan probably is keen on, it's the, the best of experience now, possible, right? Yeah, we always complain about not being able to hear what the characters are saying, and he always says it's his, you know, the actual presentation. They're still complaining it. about that, apparently. Yeah, yeah the I sound mean, it, is an issue still. I, I haven't seen the movie. He has different ears than the rest of us. The responses to the movie that I get from my peers are sort of like I was less excited about seeing that movie than I was about uh, being able to see it in that context. You know, just being you know, I can't wait to get back. And, and honestly, the real reason is the one that, that you are living with and I'm living with. I'm sick and tired of all the security codes and <clears throat> watching movies on, <clears throat> on my laptop and trying to cast it to my TV and all those issues. I just hate it now. I'm really annoyed with it. Every single distributor has a different set of rules that you have to, hoops you have to jump through to see their films. Yeah, I mean, it, it's because nobody was set up to uh, suddenly just be in the VOD business irrespective of what kind of movie they're presenting to you. I mean, there, there's a reason why we had this infrastructure and the movies that we're looking at now were made with theaters in mind. So I don't think like in the next six months, we're going to see more movies that were made for a small screen presentation. But I do think that system is going to improve because by the time we get to Sundance, 
let's be honest, the pandemic's not going to be over in January. So hopefully people will be coming up with better systems and figure out, okay, what worked with Toronto and New York Film Festival? Absolutely. They're checking all of those. uh, uh, So far, everybody's very impressed with what Toronto has done and with the P&I apparatus. Uh, So um, there's no complaints there. They spent the money to make it an easy experience. Yeah. And so so as as accredited journalists, we have access to the P&I, but uh, nobody else in the U.S. can. Only people in Canada can. But still, it's more people than just people in Toronto. So it is an interesting experiment with expanding that audience in a different kind of way for that set of movies and the New York Film Festival. And New York has its limitations, too, because these are geographical. The New York Film Festival is a national festival this year. It's a a kind of VOD event if you don't live in New York. I mean, if you're a cinephile... So who can see a New York York Film Festival movie? How do they do that? In the United States can buy a ticket, a virtual ticket. And there are also pass holder badges type things where you can buy a package and you can go to the website and read it. And and we did, we distilled some of it on the site to kind of help you parse it. But it really is the kind of thing where if you're interested in a wide range of films from that lineup, for the most part, you can see them. And I think that it's, you know, is it good or bad for the lifespan of these movies? I don't know. But I think it's a fascinating experiment, and I hope that we can see some kind of numbers or another indication of just how successful it is or isn't, because uh, it will tell us something about how film festivals will need to evolve. So that step is going to be really interesting. And, and as we go through Toronto, I'll also be curious to say, I mean, we, we sort of were talking about this more hypothetically over the last few weeks, but what is, what is buzz going to feel like? I mean, what is well, it judging from one night in Miami, um, you know, the having the trades review something or write about its Oscar prospects or having various cover, you know, coverage in various media of, of the of the various directors, you know, the cover stories in Hollywood Reporter or whatever. It, it's happening. It's happening like it's it isn't the same as being able to talk to everyone uh, at the but but, but we're talking on Twitter. Backwards. We're doing it on social media. We're doing it in, in other ways. Well, it's, but, but it's notable that, say, you wrote a piece about the awards prospects after watching that movie via link. If, if you had been at, say, the Toronto Gala premiere, you would then probably go to the after party, talk to Regina King, talk to an Amazon executive and work that in. It would be the sort of organic thing. So now we have to kind of extrapolate things and track that side of things from a different direction. And I wonder what that's going to be. You know, we're, that's still sort of TBD for the different films that they come. I out. would say, I would say that what's different about this year is that I would be on the ground in Toronto doing interviews right now. You know, and I would be uh, banking uh, a lot of the stories that I'm going to do later uh, during the award season, and you know, around the time that all the different films open. The trouble here is that we don't know when these movies are opening. A lot of them, some of them we do, but but really uh, not. I mean. What is Nomadland? December 4th, right? Right. So Although that has a date. They could push it if they want to because they have that window of time where it could still be an Oscar. Campaign. Absolutely. So they're waiting and and waiting until they can nail down theaters in New York and L.A., really, um, and 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 put things out uh, in December, January, February. That's what's going to happen. What? And, and, of course, Dune is expected to be pushed, so... I feel like Dune could stick and Wonder Woman would be pushed. Um, they sent out the trailer for Dune and I just feel like Dune should come out. I want to see Dune. Well, I want to see it. it. It looks so good. The trailer was awesome. 
I, I'll be curious to see where we're at in December. I mean, right now, there are just enough places where people live in big cities and you can still go see Tenet. I mean, being in New York, you can go to Jersey. Being in L.A., you go to parts of California, um, which are that those are not the only places in the country that matter. And Orange County's about to open right. as well. So it, yeah. if we have a situation that is on par with that or somewhat similar to that in December, then it does seem viable. But we don't know because we're entering winter and things can change. So what I would do, what I would consider doing, I would do a little homework, is go to a theater that is one of the high-end theaters that has definitely got the uh, filtered air going on. And I would go to the first show of the day. And I would, I would, I would uh, because it would be, the air would be clean. <laughs> so that's my plan. And maybe I'll get that organized. Everybody's got their own system when they're not an epidemiologist for being like, this feels safe. It's all about what feels safe, which is yeah. obviously part of the problem in our country right now because the leadership hasn't given us a clear directive in terms of what actually is safe. But, you know, we all do our best and, and, and we keep trying. And like I said, if I was actually in Toronto right now sitting in a movie theater, I'd be wearing that mask. By the way, the other thing I did this week, which was really fun, was I interviewed Liz Garbus, Lisa Cortez, the directors of the new Stacey Abrams doc All In, The Fight for Democracy, right? And it's about voter suppression. And it is scary as hell. It's actually a nightmarish uh, movie. <laughs> I mean, we know it already, but the details of how far and wide the, and widespread the the uh, the problems are in different states around the country is, is we knew about Georgia, but this is really uh, scary. So um, I got to interview Stacey Abrams, which was fun. She was wonderful. I, I mean, I, I love that Stacey Abrams took this devastating and unjust loss that she suffered in that in the in Georgia election. And, and she was pretty angry about it. And she channeled that into the, yeah, something, something more practical. productive. She's yeah. really fighting the good fight. Yeah. And, you know, I have so many liberal friends who are who say things like Trump's going to win or whatever. And I'm like, well, what are you doing about it? Right. You know, just, I, I mean, it's like we can look at people like Stacey Abrams as, as sort of like these great figures who are making a difference. But if you aren't making a difference along with somebody like that, I think you're actually contributing to the problem. You know, I've, I've signed up uh, to, to do some phone banking in Pennsylvania, which I don't think we should take for granted. I, I usually do that close to the election. Yeah. So We're I'll take close. a swing, swing state, you know, I and do it. I guess I should get started. What I have done is, is send out some postcards uh, to, to remind people to register to vote. Well, that's a smart way. The, the, the sort of the DIY uh, handmade approach to saving democracy. I like that. Well, next week, I guess we'll have some more TIFF stuff to talk about, and uh, we can dig deeper into some of those other fall movies. I'll be here in Toronto wearing my mask. And Get some sleep, Eric. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.